Welcome to the Susquehanna Valley Baptist Pulpit, preaching a life worth living, abundant life in Christ. And now the message. If you would, turn in your Bibles to Ruth chapter 3. Ruth chapter 3. And we'll spend the majority of our time there in this book of Ruth. Let's begin reading here, Ruth chapter 3. In verse number 6, And she went down unto the floor, and did according to all that her mother-in-law bade her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk, and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of corn. And she came softly, and uncovered his feet, and laid her down. And it came to pass at midnight that the man was afraid, and turned himself, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. And he said, Who art thou? And she answered, I am Ruth, thine handmaid. Spread therefore thy skirt over thine handmaid, for thou art a near kinsman. And he said, Blessed be thou of the Lord my daughter, for thou hast showed more kindness in the latter end than at the beginning. Inasmuch as thou followedest not young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, fear not, I will do to thee all that thou requirest, for all the city of my people doth know that thou art a virtuous woman. And now it is a true now it is true that I am thy near kinsman. Howbeit there is a kinsman nearer than I, tarry this night, and it shall be in the morning, that if he will perform unto thee the part of a kinsman, well, let him do the kinsman's part. But if he will not do the part of the kinsman to thee, then will I do the part of the kinsman to thee, as the Lord liveth. Lie down until the morning, and she lay down at his feet until the morning. And she rose up before no one could know another. And he said, Let it not be known that a woman came into the floor. Also he said, Bring the veil that thou hast upon thee, and hold it. And when she held it, it measured six measures of barley, and laid it on her, and she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, Who art thou, my daughter? And she told her all that the man had done to her. And she said, These six measures of barley gave he me. For he said to me, Go not empty unto thy mother-in-law. Then said she, Sit still, my daughter, until thou know how the matter will fall, for the man, the man will not be in rest until he have finished the thing this day. Now this evening I'd like to preach a message regarding entering into your privileges. Now I didn't come to Christ for the perks or the benefits of being a Christian, I didn't come to Christ because of the wealth it would bring or because of health that I needed. We don't come to Christ for the perks. Rather, I came to Christ because I owed a debt that I could not pay, and that was my sin debt. And Jesus Christ was the only one that could pay that debt. That is why I came to Christ. And if you are a believer today, that is why you should have also come to Christ, because of our need for a Savior. But I will say... Whenever it comes to going a little farther in our relationship with the Lord, if you think about it, being a part of a family has a lot of privileges. Now, if you were listening or read or heard the news today, you found out that the, the royal family lost their queen. She passed away today. And thinking on that note, the royal family comes with a lot of privileges. If you're part of the royal family, you have great privileges. Why? Because you're part of that family. And so, I think of us as believers, we are part of the family of God. If you have trusted Christ, 
by faith as your Savior, God calls you one of his children. And there are great privileges, there are great wonderful blessings that come from being in the family of God, from being God's child. And it would be a shame for us to waste our potential, the potential of our Christian life, by neglecting the privileges that God has given to us. And so that's why this evening's message is entitled, Entering Into Your Privileges. Because there are a great many privileges that we receive whenever we come to Christ. Now, case in point, um, we have a privilege as a child of God to come to Him in prayer. Pastor was just mentioning that. Now, what would your life look like as a believer if you had that privilege of prayer but never entered into that privilege? You never took part in that privilege. So here you are as a child of God with access to God as your Heavenly Father, but yet you never entered into that privilege of prayer that you have. What would your life look like? Your Christian life would have wasted potential. And so... I'd like for us to look at the life of Ruth because here was a young lady who was born in a faraway land in Moab and she was a young lady that would have been born and raised and she grew up, as far as spiritual things go, without privileges. She grew up without privileges. Let's talk about Ruth here for a few minutes. The book of Ruth is not a book on miracles. It's not a book of great conquest or or things that great kings have gotten done. It's not even a book about governmental systems or the kings of a certain era like you would find in Daniel. It's not, it's, it's basically, it is a book that regards the domestic affairs of one family, specifically the family of Elimelech. And so we find this family here, Elimelech takes his wife Naomi and they go into the land of Moab. Now, there's a whole message, I'm sure, that could be preached upon leaving the promised land and going to the land of Moab. But they go to the land of Moab. Their two sons grow up. Their two boys marry Moabitish women. And then the two sons and the father die. And then Naomi is left to return to her homeland. She has nothing in the land of Moab. She has two daughter-in-laws. One of them stays with her. That was Ruth. And the other one, Orpah, stays behind. Now, a little bit about Ruth. She was from the land of Moab. So here you have a young lady without privileges. Let's look at some of those privileges. If you, now, I want you to consider what it meant to be a child of God or a part of the children of Israel there. They had been given a promise. If they were a child of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob, they had a land, they had a seed, they had a blessing. They had these great promises given to them. They had great privileges because they were the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Ruth was a Moabite. You find in the Psalms that Moab is referred to as the wash pot. She came from the wash pot in God's eyes. Now, what a, what a great difference as if someone coming from the promised land, coming from the land that they had received that inheritance. And here you have little Ruth grows up in a home in Moab, in Moab, in God's wash pot. Ruth, we find her coming to Israel, coming with her mother-in-law. She has no husband. She's widowed. She's without that security. She's without privilege, remember. She's a stranger in Israel. She's not a citizen. It refers to her often throughout the book as, as Ruth the Moabite. She's a gleaner. She goes into 
the, the fields and she gleans and she's taking part of really of, of God's welfare system to feed herself and her family. That means that she could not purchase her own. She couldn't purchase her own food. She couldn't purchase what she needed for her own necessity. Rather, she had to go out and to glean. Ruth was a lady who grew up and lived without privileges. I want to look at a second character here that we find in the book and we want to focus a lot on, and that is there's a kinsman. And just to fill you in here, there are two kinsmen here that are spoken of. The one is Boaz, and the other is a nearer kinsman. And we want to look at both of them a little bit, but specifically Boaz here. He was a relative, and uh, we'll go into some other things. He was a man of privilege. He, had, he was an Israelite. He possessed land in the promised land, and he was a kinsman to Ruth. So I want to look here at some of the comparisons because we have, we're looking really at this picture. The root word for kinsman that we find in the Old Testament is redeemer. The root word is redeemer. That's how we often read about the kinsman redeemer. Kinsman, we know that that means kin. That means he's close and relative. The kinsman would have been your closest blood relative, specifically a man. And so it meant redeemer. The kinsman's purpose was to redeem. Whenever a family member came into trouble, the kinsman's purpose, the kinsman's, uh, the whole reason he was there, the whole reason God instituted this was for him to be a redeemer for that individual who is in trouble. And so here we find a great picture of us. We have the picture of the kinsman redeemer. And our kinsman redeemer is not Boaz. Ruth's kinsman redeemer was Boaz. Our kinsman redeemer is the Lord Jesus Christ. And here in the Old Testament, we find pictured for us the beautiful picture that God has of his plan for salvation for us. And so as Israel was going through their life, as Israel was going through their history as a nation, God set in place many things within their the structure of their government, within the structure of their, um, how they worshipped him. And all these things pointed towards the Lord Jesus Christ. Think about, think about the blood on the doorpost. You could think about the spotless lamb which was to be sacrificed. And here is just another instance where we have the kinsman redeemer. God instituted this into their law to care for the people, but yet it was a beautiful picture of how Jesus Christ would one day come, their Messiah would come to take away the sins of the world. And so here we have a beautiful picture of a Gentile coming and being redeemed. And so we have the Moabite lady, Ruth. Just like us, Ruth was not part of the children of Israel. We are not part of the family of God. Initially, we are born in sin. Because of Adam's sin, we are born into sin. We are not born into God's family. That is where Ruth found herself. She was, found herself apart from the people of God. Let's look at another thing. Ruth didn't have any lineage. You see, Boaz inherited the land. Boaz inherited all these great things because he was in the right lineage to be able to receive these things. Ruth, who remember is a picture of us, she didn't have a husband she was widowed. She had no way to receive the blessing of a land, let alone land in the promised land. And just like that, we also know that our lineage, our relatives, 
don't give us access to salvation. They don't give us access to the privileges of being a child of God. And Ruth was without access to the privileges that Israel provided, that the land of Israel gave, that God gave to the children of Israel. She was without that, just as you and I are helpless and hopeless if we're relying upon a lineage, if we're relying upon our parents' salvation. She was a stranger to Israel. I think of our relationship to Jesus Christ before our salvation. We were strangers. We were at enmity with God, and we were estranged. Another thing about Ruth, she was a gleaner. She couldn't purchase her own. What about us? We cannot purchase our own salvation. We can't purchase it. We too, just as Ruth, can't provide for our own. We need someone. We need someone else. And so, just as Ruth was in need of a redeemer, of a kinsman redeemer, so you and I, in order for us to be able, we are without privilege just like Ruth. That is the place, that is the state that we find ourselves before our kinsman Jesus Christ. We are without privileges. Now I want to take some time and look here at the kinsman and at the beautiful picture here that we see not only of Boaz redeeming Ruth, but as we look and see that this is a picture of Jesus Christ working and a picture of how his work would set the way, make the way for us to be redeemed. The first thing I'd like to note about this kinsman, Boaz, is that he was a kinsman. Now, if you remember all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, a promise is made that the Messiah, the Savior, would come as a man. He would come, and he was a man of like passions, tempted and tried as we are, close with us, mankind just as we are man. He walked in a body of flesh just as we walk. He goes through the trials of life, just as we go through the trials of life. He's tempted by Satan, just as we are tempted by Satan. And he is a kinsman. He is Christ, is man. One of the first requirements in order to be a kinsman redeemer in the land of Israel was you had to be kin. That's why it was called kinsman redeemer. You had to be related. The second thing I'd like to point out is as Ruth came unto Boaz, the Redeemer has to be willing. The Redeemer must be willing. Because what happens is, Ruth comes to Boaz, and he says, I'd love to redeem you, but there's someone closer than I. I need to go check with him. I need to go see if he would like to do the part of a kinsman Redeemer. And if you look there in chapter 4 and verse 6, this is that other kinsman. And the kinsman said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I mar mine own inheritance. Redeem thou my right to thyself, for I cannot redeem it. And in Ruth's state, she needed a kinsman who was willing. I would note that our kinsman redeemer, Jesus Christ, was willing. After all, did he not come and become man? He walked among us in flesh. And yet, whenever it came time for him to pay the price for our sins, for your sins, for my sins, he was willing and he went to the cross. He bore the beatings upon his back. He shed the blood and his beard was plucked out. The crown of thorns was put upon his head because he was willing. If he was not willing, he would have called those angels to come.
but yet we find our kinsman, Redeemer, Jesus Christ, was willing. Another thing that is necessary for a kinsman, Redeemer, is he must be able to pay the price. Here's what was happening in Ruth's situation. Naomi had a piece of land. Naomi needed that land to be redeemed, and then also a seed needed to be raised, and that was where Ruth would be marrying the kinsman, and Boaz would be purchasing for a price. He would be purchasing the land and giving that money, those finances, to Naomi purchasing that land. But here was the catch. If Boaz couldn't pay the price, Boaz was not a legitimate kinsman redeemer. If Boaz could not produce the finances, produce the goods to be able to marry Ruth and also to be able to pay for the land, he was not a legitimate redeemer. I would note that there are many ways that people look to find salvation. They look in religions, they look to their own works, they look to the lineage of those who have gone before, and they can see other alternative ways, perhaps, of redemption. But I will note this, two things, just like the other kinsmen, they must be willing and they must be able to pay the price. This other kinsman in the story was not willing and he was not able to pay the price. And so we find whenever we go and we look and we examine those alternative ways that are presented to this world today for redemption, whether it's works, whether it's religious system, whether it's your relations, your relationship with, with some false god, with some false idol, whatever it is, if that way of redemption cannot pay the price, it's not a legitimate redeemer. That is why your works are not legitimate to redeem you. That's why your works cannot be that kinsman. That kinsman can't pay the price. Your works can't pay the price. Religion in itself cannot pay the price. Only Jesus Christ. Those that keep the law of God, you have the Israelites we found in Romans chapter 12, they were zealous. They were zealous of good works. They were zealous of keeping the law, zealous of their sacrifices. But what could they not do? That was not able to pay the price. Therefore, it was not a legitimate kinsman redeemer. I would note that the only kinsman redeemer who can pay the price for you and I is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So he must be a relative. The kinsman must be willing the kinsman must be able to pay the price. There's a reason that this kinsman, our Lord Jesus Christ, when we speak of him, there's a reason he came in flesh and blood. That was to shed his own blood. That was to fulfill the promise. We see his willingness as he went to the cross. And John the Baptist declares with power, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. He was able. I'd like to note a few other beautiful pictures here of Boaz as Ruth's kinsman redeemer, but yet picturing Christ as our kinsman redeemer. You note, if you look there, that Boaz was good to Ruth. Now, here's an interesting thing. We don't, Ruth coming and being redeemed physically by Boaz was not how she came to salvation Rather, we find that Ruth would come to salvation just like Moses, just like Abraham, just like you and I, by faith. 
And if you look there in Ruth chapter 1, she makes a powerful statement. Ruth chapter 1.16, she says this to Naomi at the end there, Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. If you turn the page there in Ruth chapter 2 and verse 12, Boaz is observing Ruth and he makes this statement, The Lord recompense thy work and a full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel. Note this, under whose wings thou art come to trust. Boaz says, The Lord recompense thy work and a full reward, but yet he realizes the change in this Moabite's life was because under whose wings thou art come to trust. She had come to trust and rely and set herself under the wings of the Lord Jesus Christ, under her Messiah. She was covered. And now we have this picture of Boaz. He gives her the grain. And I would note that Romans chapter 2 states to us that the goodness of God leadeth men to repentance. Boaz in his goodness towards Ruth, pictures Jesus Christ, our Savior, who is good, although He's just and although He's holy and although He must declare just judgment against those who have sinned, yet He is a good God and He gives goodness. And by the goodness of God, men are led to repentance. Another thing we find here is in Ruth chapter 3 and verse 9, we find the covering of the kinsmen. Ruth chapter 3 and verse 9, Ruth comes to the floor, the threshing floor, and in verse 9 she makes this statement, He said, Who art thou? And she answered, I am Ruth, thine handmaid. Spread therefore thy skirt over thine handmaid, for thou art a near kinsman. It's interesting, that word skirt is the same word that we find up in Ruth chapter 2 and verse 12, wings. It's referring to the outer border, the outer edge of a garment. And Ruth is asking Boaz, she says, Spread therefore thy skirt over thine handmaid. Why? It was a picture of her need being covered. If you will, turn over to Ezekiel chapter 16. We find this phrase again mentioned, Ezekiel chapter 16. And this passage is... Dealing with Israel, but in Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 1, the Bible says, Again the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, cause Jerusalem to know her abominations, and say, Thus saith the Lord God unto Jerusalem, Thy birth and thy nativity is of the land of Canaan. Thy, th thy father was an Amorite, and thy mother an Hittite. And as for thy nativity in the day thou wast born, thy navel was not cut, neither wast thou washed in water to supple thee. Thou wast not salted at all, nor swaddled at all. None I pitied thee to do any of these unto thee, to have compassion upon thee. But thou wast cast out in the open field to the loathing of thy person in the day that thou wast born. And when I passed by thee, I saw thee polluted in thine own blood. I said unto thee, When thou wast in thy blood, live. Yea, I said unto thee, when thou wast in thy blood, live. We're given a picture here of Israel, specifically the nation of Israel, and how whenever they were, before God had looked upon them, before God had taken them and covenanted with them, he, 
mentioned them as, as an infant nation, as a baby, as a child, not taken care of from birth. Their navel was not cut, they were not washed, and they were cast into an open field, neglected, left to die. And as others would have passed by and seen them, verse 6, that baby was in a position to die. Those that had put it there were saying, die. Yet Jesus Christ, yet the Lord, God of Israel, whenever he saw the nation of Israel, he said unto them, live. He saw their pitiful state. He saw their need. He said, live. And in verse 8, Now when I passed by thee and looked upon thee, but behold, thy time was the time of love. Aren't you grateful that whenever God looks upon us, he looks on us with love? He says, And I spread my skirt over thee, and covered thy nakedness. Yea, I swear unto thee, and entered into a covenant with thee, saith the Lord God, and thou becamest mine. I washed thee, then washed I thee with water. Yea, thoroughly washed away thy blood from thee, and I anointed thee with oil. I clothed thee also with broidered work, and shod thee with badger skin, and I girded thee with fine linen, and I covered thee with silk. You know, since the beginning of time, man has always needed a covering since their sin. The first sin we find, Adam and Eve, they sinned in the garden, and they were in need of a covering. They tried to cover it themselves. They could not do so sufficiently. And so Christ, or we have God, shed the blood of an innocent lamb and took the skins of that lamb and covered them. What a beautiful picture as when Jesus Christ died upon the cross, that perfect and spotless lamb, his shed blood upon the cross paid the way and covered us, covered our sin. We find here a picture of a baby who's been cast aside in great need, in great distress. And we find that the Lord God looks upon them in pity and mercy and in love and covers them, showing a picture of care, covers their nakedness. It says here, I spread my skirt over thee and covered thy nakedness. Now, I know this is speaking about the people of Israel, but I think it could also be said that and applied to our lives that we lost in our sin, just as we're looking at the picture of Ruth and her kinsman Boaz, the Redeemer, we should look at ourselves and see that we in our sin were cast aside. When others looked at us, we were hopelessly lost in our sin. And whenever all others were looking at us having no no love, whenever others weren't saying unto us, live, God in his mercy sent his son Jesus Christ that we might live. And so we find that phrase there in verse 8, I spread thy skirt, my skirt over thee and covered thy nakedness. And they entered into a covenant. It says that they were washed and they were clothed with broided works. I'm going to turn back over here to Ruth. But what a wonderful thing it is that whenever we come to our kinsman redeemer, whenever we come to the Lord Jesus Christ by faith, he takes us from our pitiful state, he takes us from our neglected and cast aside state. Sin has left us out in an open field, in need, and in a sense naked. Yet Jesus Christ shed his blood, made a covering, a beautiful covering, one of broided works and of silk and of the finest, and has covered us, 
covered our sin, covered our need with His sacrifice, sacrifice upon the cross. What a beautiful picture of the covering of the kinsman. Another thing I guess I'll take you here is Jude chapter 2, or Jude chapter 1, sorry. You know what I'm talking about. You have this verse memorized. I was looking over this the other day, and I was thinking this question. I thought, as I was reading, I'll read it here, and then I'll ask you the question that came to mind. Now unto him, this is verse 24 of Jude, now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and present you faultless, before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to the only wise God our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and ever. Amen. But note that phrase, to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. How is it that God can present a sinner estranged from God and take him and present him with joy and faultless before the glory of God? It is because of the covering of the shed blood and work of Jesus Christ. That is how we can be presented faultless and with joy. I think of my judgment one day, I think of your judgment one day. We're not judged according to our works, we're judged according to the work of Jesus Christ if you've trusted Him by faith. And so that is how I can know that that judgment is going to be joyful, a joyful presentation of a faultless believer in the sight of God. What a glorious thing to think of the kinsman's covering, the covering of Jesus Christ. We will be faultless and presented with joy. Not presented with fear, not presented that somehow some of our sin will somehow peek through, but presented with joy and with confidence. The other thing I'd like to look at here is the resting that takes place in the work of the kinsman. This is the last point here in Ruth chapter 3 and verse 18. Naomi tells her daughter-in-law something very powerful, I think. And Ruth has just come back and related to her mother-in-law the situation. She tells her, this is what happened the other night. This is how Boaz has looked upon me with favor. He desires to be our kinsman redeemer. And he's capable of being our kinsman redeemer. But yet there's still some work that needs to be done. And so Naomi makes this statement. Then said she, sit still. The mother-in-law's instruction to her daughter-in-law was to sit still. Sit still, my daughter, until thou know how the matter will fall, for the man will not be in rest until he have finished the thing this day. And I'd like to present to you this point. The child of God, just as Ruth, Ruth in the story was instructed to rest in the work of her kinsman redeemer. Even so, we as God's children, our kinsman redeemer is not Boaz, but much greater, our kinsman redeemer is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so to us, the application here is that we are to rest in the work of our kinsman redeemer. Do you know that if you're relying upon works, if you're relying upon the completion of the law by yourself, if you're relying upon something, anything other than Jesus Christ, remember, it's not a legitimate kinsman and he's not going to be able to complete the work. How can there be any rest? That is why whenever you go around and we're taking these surveys, 
you know, it's good evening. I'd like to take a survey on religion in the Harrisburg area. Would you be interested in answering some questions? You've asked those questions before. And you hear people, and it comes down to the question of, how do you believe a person goes to heaven? They give you their answer, and the next question comes up. And the next question is, if you were to die today, do you know that you go to heaven? Yes, no, or maybe. Do you know that the individual that is not resting in the work of their kinsman redeemer, Jesus Christ, that is why people answer maybe or no. It's a terrible thought, a terrible thing to think that someone goes through life, they're spending their life, and they can't have rest. They are not resting. They may have a plan. They may have an alternative redeemer. But because he's not Jesus Christ, the only real and capable legitimate redeemer, because they don't have him, that's why their answer is maybe or no. Or that's why they answer you, well, maybe, but just circle yes for the survey. They're living restless lives. And the reason they're living a restless life is because they have no kinsman redeemer who's paid the price to rest in. And so just as Naomi tells her daughter-in-law, Ruth, sit still, my daughter. So we can take from this application as well, from the word of God, because of the completed work of Jesus Christ. And by the way, Hebrews talks about this. He talks about the priests, the, the, the human priests, you think of, you think of Samuel, you think of these other gentlemen, you think of Aaron, let's think about Aaron and his sons, and they were sacrificing daily. They had no rest, but yet in the book of Hebrews it says that Jesus Christ paid the sacrifice and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God because the work is complete, and because the work is complete, the payment's been made, your redemption has been paid for, you've been bought, and now you and I are to rest in the work of our kinsman redeemer. That is how we enter into our privileges. I want to give you one of those great privileges tonight. The first of which is we are his sons. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. That was 1 John 3 and verse 1 and 2. John 1, 12 says this, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Believer, God the Father is truly our Father. We are to enter into the position of sons in a definite way. What potential to be his sons. I'm so grateful that we can enter into the privilege of being God's child. If you haven't today, I would challenge you. I tell you from the word of God that you must do so if you are going to be able to rest. And not only if you're going to be able to rest, but this must take place in your life if you're going to be able to enter into the other privileges that come with being a believer, that come with being a child of God. And so we want to be grateful for all Let's pray. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to contact us, please write us at P.O. Box 126-541 
Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, 17112. And visit our website at www.svbcpa.org. Until next time.